Amen, amen. Good morning, church. I hope you're doing well uh, today. Happy New Year. Uh, you're here on a great Sunday. We are starting up a new series that will be uh, really for the, for the whole of 2022 as we were praying and thinking through uh, what God would have us uh, spend the year of 2022 in. Uh, we're thinking uh, the theme of this year is going to be uh, a simple phrase, uh, be the church. Be the church, be God's church. As we begin as a church to kind of move towards uh, a building and a permanent facility, we want to keep you focused and to keep ourselves focused as a church on the fact that the church is not a building. The church is the people. We are the church, and God wants to use us, the people, uh, to do a work and do his work and his mission of making disciples uh, throughout and so we're going to be studying the book of First and Second Corinthians. And so today I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the front end uh, setting up the context of First and Second Corinthians. How many of you guys have heard of the book of Corinthians in the Bible? Uh, has anybody ever traveled to Corinth? Uh, Corinth, anybody? We have anybody? All right. So we're going to take a little journey uh, today into Corinth. I am so excited to study this book. I believe uh, there's not a, a, a church uh, in the Bible that relates more to the culture that we live in uh, quite like uh, Corinth. And, and, and we get two letters in the Bible addressed to the church uh, in Corinth. And so I got a little map. Let's go back to social studies uh, class or history class for you guys. Uh, you can see uh, this is kind of Jerusalem down in the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, and so Paul in the book of Acts started in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus died, Jesus resurrected and then Paul uh, was saved, and then he began to plant churches all around the Mediterranean Sea, all the way until uh, he got the gospel all the way to Rome. And so if you look kind of in the middle of the screen, a little to the left, uh, you see the city of Corinth there. Now it's important to understand, Corinth is a very, very big city. As you can tell, uh, it's kind of a travel uh, route. At this point, people would use boats, uh, boats and ships to get and move travel, and so a lot of times Corinth, uh, it, you see the kind of inlet right there, the Gulf of Corinth right there, but then there's a, a piece of land, it's about a three mile stretch that runs, uh, that kind of hinders you from going through the river uh, to get over uh, towards Ephesus, Colossae, Antioch, all the way to, to Jerusalem right there. And so these, these guys would come in and instead of going all the way around Corinth and all the way around the island, it was closer to go uh, down this little river and they would come to this land and they would actually put uh, the ships on wheels and push them three and a half miles uh, instead of going all the way around just because it saved them time. And because of this, Corinth was in a prime location when it came to trade during this time period. And so it was a huge city. It would be the equivalent of somewhere like New York for us. Uh, it, during this time period, most people estimate there were 300 to 400,000 people in the city of Corinth during this time, which is absolutely uh, big. And so it was very prosperous. There was a lot of money, a lot of trade that was happening uh, here. Uh, the city of Corinth was destroyed pretty early on uh, by uh, one of the Caesars in Rome. But then Julius Caesar, many of you guys may remember him, rebuilt the city of Corinth right before Paul got there. And so by the time Paul got there in the book of Acts, it would have been a pretty new city. It was a city that hosted uh, a form of the Olympic Games. Uh, it was a city uh, that really brought in a lot of different people, not only through trade, but there were all kinds of events there. Uh, there were temples everywhere. Uh, it, it, there was just a lot going on 
uh, here. One of the main temples that I want to introduce you uh, to is the next picture that we see here. Um, this is kind of a picture of Corinth of what you would see now. You see the ruins, uh, the, the columns over here would have been a temple uh, to the god of Apollos, who was kind of an Olympic hero. And then if you look way up there on that mountain, uh, there would have been a temple there uh, to the goddess of Aphrodite. And so that should ring a bell, Aphrodite. I know y'all do this kind of reading in your off time. Uh, Aphrodite was the goddess of, uh, of sexual love. And so this is where Corinth kind of uh, claims most of its name. When people would have thought of Corinth back in the old days, immediately they would have thought of sexual immorality. It was a place of great prostitution, uh, not only prostitution, but religious prostitution. And there was a lot of sexual immorality that would go on here. Uh, so think of Las Vegas or Sin City. I want to point you, uh, we're not going to be in Corinthians today, we're going to be in the book of Acts, but I want to just bring you into the type of people that would have made up Corinth, and I want to see if you see any similarities to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you have your Bible, 6 uh, verses 9 through 11, uh, I don't have this on the screen, uh, but I want to read it to you so you can listen and write it down, but I want, to, I want you to hear how Paul talks to them about their past. It tells us a lot about the church in Corinth. Uh, so Paul says this, verse 9 in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. He says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 11, listen to what he says. And this is what some of you were. Key word, were, right? God had saved them and cleansed them is what he goes on to say, but it gives us a really good picture of what the city of Corinth would have been like. Can you imagine going to church uh, with a group of people that used to be characterized by idolatry and sexual immorality and adultery and homosexuality and, and drunkenness and uh, slanderers and gossips and all these type of things? It almost reminds us of the church today because this is who uh, our culture presents in a lot of ways. And so there's a lot of hope in the book of Corinth. If your life has been characterized by idolatry, which we all have, if your life has been characterized by sexual immorality or, or gossiping or slandering or broken relationships, then 1 Corinthians is an incredible uh, book for us to know. There were many gods again there. Sin was rampant. Uh, it was known for those things. And as we get into the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the things that we're gonna see is Paul addressed some really, really interesting issues. And so the book of 1 Corinthians was written to this church. Can you imagine all of these types of people uh, under one roof, so to speak, or in the same house church, and all of the problems that would have been caused by a group of people that had lived such a promiscuous past life. And so they had not only been set free by the gospel, but they had established their life on a bunch of habitual sinfulness. And so as we begin to look at the church, the church has never been clean. It's always been a messy place because as long as messy people make up the church, there's going to be messy things, but that doesn't stop God from the work that he's trying to do. He wants to take ordinary, messy people and conform them to his own image to make them more like him because when he does that, 
who gets the glory? He does. And so this is our heart for Connection Church is that all people would be welcome here, no matter what color, no matter what past you have, no matter what sins that you've struggled with, because God has a plan for your life and God can transform your life. And because of that, he can conform us into a church that shines the light of the gospel into the darkest culture uh, that our world really has ever seen during this time period. And this is Paul's heart for the church in Corinth, is that they would live a life in every area of their life that glorifies Christ, that they would be used powerfully by God. And so we're gonna see Paul write about things like division in the church. How do you stay unified when you have so many different types of people in the church that maybe believe so many different types of things? How do we, another thing he writes on is sex and marriage. How do we begin to think about these things the way God thinks about these things? How, how do we, uh, he talks a lot about idolatry and how idolatry can, can lead us down a path that we do not uh, wanna go. He talks a lot about the gathering. What should the gathering of the church look like? Who should speak? How should they speak? How has God organized the church as a body? And then lastly, he's gonna talk about the power of the resurrection as the message of Christianity. So I'm excited. You may not be excited, but 1 Corinthians is going to be an incredible book, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, for us to study uh, this year. As Blake was saying, we would love for you to jump into the 412 reading plan with us. Uh, this is a way for you to kind of stay on track with what we're studying. Our groups will also be studying the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, uh, and the messages will be there as well. And so that kind of sets you up for the year of 2022. So today... I want to, to open up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18. So if we're going to kind of understand Corinth, we need to understand where the church in Corinth actually started. And so Acts 18 is the account of Paul planting the church as we know it in the book of, in the town of Corinth. And so I want to read together, and then I have a few things that I would love for us to get to talk about. So uh, here we go, starting in verse 1. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila. Everybody say with me, Aquila. Aquila, a native of Pontus. Pontus is an area up around the Black Sea, kind uh, uh, of northeast of the area where we're, we're talking about in Corinth. Uh, so Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy... Uh, later we'll learn Rome with his wife Priscilla. Everybody say Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla. We're going to talk about them. Because Claudius, who was the emperor of Rome at that time, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So we learn why they are in Corinth is because uh, Claudius, the emperor, had outlawed and, and basically because of a uh, uh, pretty much what most scholars think are a revival about Jesus Christ in Rome, he shipped them out. Uh, to different places, and so they wind up in Corinth. Uh, and so here we go. Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, and then Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. So we see very early on Aquila and Priscilla, Paul, they know each other. Paul was a tent maker. Uh, he, uh, Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers, so they were outlawed. Uh, Paul found them, and so they began to work as a tent maker uh, together. Verse 4, every Sabbath, 
uh, Paul reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy, everybody say Silas and Timothy, Silas and Timothy, these were two guys that kind of uh, sidekicked Paul in a lot of ways uh, as he was planting churches. Silas and Timothy are very faithful men of God. They came from Macedonia. Macedonia would have been up north of Corinth, and so Paul would have left them there to help establish the church, teach the church, disciple the church as Paul moved into a new area uh, to begin to plant in Corinth. But later, Silas and Timothy would come down from Macedonia. So Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So Silas and Timothy gave Paul the ability because they had brought a gift of money from the church in Macedonia. We'll hear about that uh, in, in, in the book of Corinthians so that he could not have to work as a tent maker to make a living, but the church would pay for him to be a pastor and a church planner to do that. That's where we believe that it's okay to pay a pastor. Praise God. Thank you guys for that. Um, so he goes on to say, uh, let's see, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Verse 6, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This is a very interesting reaction. Uh, where do we get this from? You may remember Jesus when he sent out his disciples in the, in the Gospels. Uh, he told them to go and preach the Gospel. And those that accepted him uh, w w to go and, and be with them, but those that refused him to shake out their clothes and shake out their boots and move on to the next. And so as you begin to see evangelism in the New Testament, one of the things that we're going to see is that God goes before us as the church. And he is already working in the hearts of people. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to preach the gospel and persuade them that Jesus is who he says he is and give them the invitation to be a part of what God is doing. And it's up to them, their decision, uh, and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit of God to move them to become a disciple of Christ. And Paul knew this, and so when people would oppose him, he would just shake his feet and move on to the next place. So where does Paul go? Verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue, and he went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. So Paul's very creative in his evangelism. You know, I'm going out of here. They don't like me in the synagogue. Where should we go? Oh, there's a house. I'll go there next. He goes right next door to Titius Justice's house, and then he begins to lead him to the Lord. Now, a worshiper of God would not have been a Christian. That would have been just somebody who thought that there was a God. Uh, theism, monotheism, to say that. Uh, verse 7, uh, Paul leaves, goes next door, Titius Justice. Verse 8, Crispus, the synagogue leader, so one of the synagogue leaders follows him, and he says, uh, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So Paul has a really good ministry in Corinth, right? So the Jews don't necessarily believe in the synagogue, but then he goes next door. He leads Titius Justice to the Lord. And then the next thing he knows, the synagogue leader comes to the house. He leads him to the Lord. And then many other Corinthians begin to believe. And this is where we see the start of the church uh, in Corinth. They're off to a good start. 
And then verse 9, most commentators believe something happened between verse 8 and verse 9. Because at this point, Paul should be fired up, right? There's people getting saved. The church is starting. Man, God is doing some incredible things. But then listen, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. What does he say? Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. And so we see God come to Paul in a vision and, 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 and almost encourage Paul, like, like he's down, like, like he's afraid, like he's scared, like he feels alone and he's kind of weary in this. Well, one of the things that I want you to understand is Paul was at the end of his second missionary journey. And we don't really get this because we have planes and cars and all of these things. But Paul at this point would have walked 2,000 miles in about two and a half, three years. So this dude's getting it. I mean, let me put that in context. That would be like me setting out from Vidalia and over the next couple of years, I'm just gonna walk out to Denver, Colorado. You know, just walk, right? I've, I've started thinking about maybe this needs to be some training for some of our pastors to just set out from here and walk to Denver to see if we can make some converts. But you could think about this. And then every city that Paul would have went to in between uh, Vidalia and Denver, Colorado, he would have preached the gospel and he would have received opposition. So you can imagine over two years, two and a half years of going to places, preaching, seeing people respond, but also being beaten and also uh, just receiving a ton of opposition, how he could have been maybe discouraged in this. Some people believe that Paul had gotten sick at this point because we'll see in 1 Corinthians 12 where he has a thorn in the flesh, right? And God's writing to him about what that could be. And so a lot of people think something happened in between verses eight and nine. We don't know, but we know one, that he was afraid because God doesn't tell people do not be afraid that aren't afraid, right? And we know that he needed the presence of God because he said, I'm going to be with you so we know something had caused him to get to a place where he was uh, fearful and God encouraged him this way. So what do I wanna do today? I, I wanna do a couple things and I'm excited about this message. I hope I don't preach too long on this. I hope you're still with me. Uh, I got three things that I want us to do today. The first is this. I want us to learn from Aquila and Priscilla, right? I, you may have not heard that. These are kind of the forgotten heroes of the Bible, but in the New Testament, Aquila and Priscilla show up everywhere. They are a huge part of the move of God in the New Testament. And so I want us to learn what it looks like to be a faithful church member from Aquila and Priscilla. A lot of times when we think of Paul, we kind of separate ourselves from Paul. Paul's a preacher. I'm not a preacher. Well, throw that out the window. Now we have Aquila and Priscilla who are people just like you and me, right? Just faithful church members. What does it look like to be a faithful part of God's church. We're gonna look at that. Secondly, we're gonna learn from Paul. How did Paul respond to being discouraged or growing weary, or as we call it in our day, being burnt out? How did he respond to this in his life? What did he do? And then lastly, I have a few challenges for us in the year of 2022 based off of the vision that God spoke to Paul in. So let's talk about learning faithfulness from Aquila and Priscilla. Let's read about them one more time. So after this, Paul left Athens, this is verse one, and went to court. There he met a man 
uh, a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed there and he worked with them. So we've already learned a little bit about them. But I want you to know I love Aquila and Priscilla. They are incredible people to study in the New Testament, to follow along, and I'm going to take you on that. They're normal people. They work a normal job. They're tent makers, but they are faithful church members. Their yes is on the table, as you're going to see, and man, they are willing to do whatever for God whenever he asks them to do it. It's absolutely incredible. They're mentioned throughout the New Testament. Write these scriptures down. Uh, Acts 18, which is where we are now, uh, we see that he's from Pontus, so just kind of put this in your mind. He would have started up in Pontus, which would have been the top right of your map, and then Acts 18, he goes, uh, Acts 18, we see him uh, somewhere, Pontus, he went to Rome, and he was a part of the church in Rome, and then he ends up going from Rome, and we see him now in our text, in Corinth. And so he ends up in Corinth. At the end of Acts 18, he goes with Paul to Ephesus, and Paul leaves him in Ephesus, right? So you're just seeing this guy move from place to place. And then from Ephesus, when Paul writes the letter back to Rome, guess who's back in Rome? Aquila and Priscilla, somewhere got back to Rome. And then we see Paul write again in 2 Timothy, which was written to Timothy, who was pastoring the church back in Ephesus. And guess who's back in Ephesus? Aquila and Priscilla, right? So these people were everywhere in the New Testament. It was almost like wherever God needed them, wherever Paul needed them to help sure up the church and, and really be a faithful member and a faithful leader in the church, they were willing uh, to do it. As you read Romans 16, 3 through 5, Paul gives us a really, really cool explanation of Priscilla and Aquila, and I think we can learn from it. So it says this, Romans 16, verses 3 through 5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. They are my co-workers in Christ Jesus. I want you to underline co-workers in Christ Jesus. Listen to what he says. They risked their lives for me. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. So these people are, are, everybody loves to see Aquila and Priscilla show up because these people are faithful, man. They are encouraging and then he goes on to say, greet also the church that meets at their house. And one of the things that you'll see are three of the four times that we see Aquila and Priscilla mentioned in the Bible, the church is meeting at their house. How cool is that? They are a huge part of what God is doing in the church in the book of Acts. And I believe we can learn three things that characterize their life and we can apply these to our life. If you're a faithful and you have a desire to be a faithful church member, what does it look like? Let's learn from Aquila and Priscilla. Number one, they loved Jesus. Man, they loved Jesus. This is characterized by their life. They were co-workers, as Paul would call. Their faith was not, uh, what, what, what was not stationary. Their, their faith was not nominal. It, it wasn't cultural. Their faith was lived out. And these people loved Jesus, and their life was characterized by service. It was characterized by generosity. It was characterized by evangelism. It was characterized by community. Those things should sound familiar. At our church, we say a growing believer is characterized by four cultures. How I many of you guys know what they are? Generosity, service, evangelism, 
and community. Where does that come from? The Bible. So if I'm a growing believer, then my life will be characterized by evangelism. I'll have a desire for other people to know Christ, whatever it means. If that means I need to get on a boat and go somewhere and help plant a church, I'm willing to do it. Whatever I need to do to help people know Jesus, that's what I want to do. My life will be characterized, too, by community. That church won't just be an event that I attend. It'll be a family that I belong to. There'll be people in the church that know me, not just the face that I put on on Sunday, but truly know me and that are walking beside me to help me grow in my relationship with God. My life will be characterized by number three, service. I will be willing to get my hands dirty. God, hey, whatever you need me to do, God, I'm willing to do it. If that's wash tables, I'll wash tables. If that's open my home for a connect group to meet there, I'm willing to do it. If that's serving kids, I'm willing to do it. If that's go be a part of an outreach or go on a mission trip to go serve one of our missionaries across the world, I'll do it. Whatever you need, my hands are open. My yes is on the table to do that. And then lastly, generosity. It's living in this posture of, God, everything I have is yours. Whatever you need is yours. If I need to give so that a missionary can be on the ground and focused on just ministering to the people, I'm willing to do it. It's this picture that we see. They loved Jesus, and it was characterized in their life. Not only that, they had a dynamic marriage, a dynamic marriage. Anytime you see Aquila and Priscilla, guess what? They're always together. They're always together. It never mentions Aquila without Priscilla and never mentions Priscilla without Aquila. So you know the number one sign of a healthy relationship with God, if you're married, is a healthy marriage. You can't love Jesus and not have a healthy, an unhealth, or not have a healthy marriage. It just overflows. As we love God, we love others well, especially those that are close to us. They were faithful. They were sacrificial. They were servants. Number two, the second thing we can learn from them is that they loved other people. Man, they loved other people. That they weren't just focused on themselves. They didn't have a me faith. They're just a selfish faith, but they literally were hosting people. They were involved in the lives of other people. Uh, anytime you see Aquila and Priscilla, it always says, and the church that meets in their house. It, it, it never fails that they're loving people. I mean, what did it say? All of the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. All of them. Every church you go to. Hey, y'all know Aquila and Priscilla, man, we love them. They're awesome. Man, they loved us so well. You're, not gonna, you're, you're never going to think what they did for us. Let me tell you what they've done for us. This is just the type of people they were. They were givers. They were givers. They were servants. Whatever they had to do to love other people well, they did it. We see in the book of Acts later on, there's a guy by the name of Apollos who's this incredible preacher, and we're going to learn about him more in the book of Corinthians. And they come, and they realize that Apollos is preaching something that's against Christ. It's not wrong. It's just he's not preaching the full counsel of the gospel. He's preaching John the Baptist's baptism and needs to be preaching the baptism of Christ, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So everybody's kind of scared of him because he's this big speaker and nobody wants to talk to him. And guess what Aquila and Priscilla do? Hey man, come over here. Look, come eat at our house. We want to talk to you for a little bit. And they gently correct him and say, hey, we love you. And we've been with Paul. We know Christ. We know the teaching of Christ. This is what the teaching of Christ says. This is what your teaching says. But once Christ came, he kind of eradicated that teaching in a way and added to it now where people can receive the Holy Spirit upon uh, faith in Christ. This is the baptism that you need to be teaching. 
And we know they did it effectively because Apollos began to teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit instead of just the baptism of repentance. And so we see them just loving people so well. And then thirdly, they were committed to God's mission. Man, they were committed to God's mission. If you've been here very long, you know, when you get in the baptismal at our church and you're getting baptized, we ask you two questions. We ask you, do you believe that Christ has done everything necessary to save you? Has the work of salvation been completed in Christ alone? Nothing you've done, but everything in the finished work of Christ. That's number one. That's faith. That's believing that Jesus is your Savior. And then the second question we ask is a lordship question. And that question is, are you willing to do whatever God wants you to do when he asks you to do it? Are you willing to go wherever he asks you to go and do whatever he asks you to do? And this is what you see in the life of Aquila and Priscilla. They were open-handed. They knew that God's plan and God's purpose was to make disciples of all nations. And if that meant they needed to go to the ends of the earth to do that, they were willing to do it. If that meant they needed to stay at a church and help build up this church and serve the church or host the church or wherever it was locally, they were willing to do it. Whatever God asked them to do, whatever the needs of the church were, they were willing to do it. They were committed to the mission of God, even if it required sacrifice for them. So here's my question for us today. Many of us in this room would consider ourselves members of Connection Church Vidalia. And listen, I'm not coming at you. I don't know anything about you that you haven't told me. I'm just asking you a simple question. Do these things characterize your life? A love for Jesus, a love for other people, and a commitment to the mission of God. Because this is what it looks like to be a faithful church member, that we partner, we lock arm in arm to love Jesus together, to love one another, even when there are differences, even when we have a past, even when, when somebody isn't a natural person that we would like to be around. No, that's my brother in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. I love them. I'll serve them. I'll sacrifice for them. And I'm committed to the mission. Let's lock arm in arm and let's do this together. Let's do this together. This is what the church is all about. Are we learning from Aquila and Priscilla? Secondly, I want us to learn how to respond to discouragement from Paul. So again, uh, we see in verse, uh, verse four, every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, verse six, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive. I want you to underline that. That characterizes Paul's ministry in the book of Acts. He would preach the gospel, he would be opposed, some would believe, but most would oppose, and then they would become abusive, and then they would kick him out of the city, or they would try to kill him, or they would plot to do this or that, and usually the believers would sneak him out and he'd go to the next place and he'd face opposition. He'd be stoned or something and then they'd kick him out of the city and then he'd go to the next place. But he would successfully plant the church and the church wouldn't be dependent on him, so to speak. It would continue to go even after him. So he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood's on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Verse seven. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Verse 9. And then one night, 
the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Listen to what he said. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Everywhere that Paul went in the book of Acts, preached the gospel, some believed, others rejected, became abusive. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter two, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives us a better picture of what this abuse looked like. Verse 24, five times I received the Jews, uh, received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. You're thinking the same lashes that Jesus received is what uh, he 39 times. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, a danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and told and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all of the churches. And so in Acts 18, we get this picture of Paul kind of getting to the end of one of these journeys where he's experiencing all of these things. When we think of discouragement, we're not necessarily thinking about being beaten to death or getting robbed or all of these different things, but in a way, it's the same thing, but in a way, it's not. And then God comes to Paul in a vision and he delivers this incredible message. He says, Paul, do not be afraid. Like, keep speaking, keep doing what you're doing. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and I have many people. No one's going to attack you or harm you, and I have many people in this city. Can, can you think of, of, of how this would have made Paul feel? To be in one of these places where he was scared, he was afraid, he, he felt alone, and he was weak, and he was being threatened for his life, and he needed encouragement. And then God comes in a vision and speaks to him this word. Can you imagine how that would have made him feel? The, the energy that that would have gave him, the, the, the commitment, the confidence it would have given him to stay there. And so he does. He stays for another year and disciples the church in Corinth and leads many people in there. So my question is this, is have you ever gotten to a place where you felt this way? Where you felt exhausted, just burnt out? Maybe you're at a place in your relationship with God right now where you're like, I, I just, I don't know if I can keep going. I just, I've, I've been beaten up. The world and the circumstances that I'm in have just beaten me down. I'm alone. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm afraid. Does God even love me anymore? Does God even have a plan for my life? I think we can learn from Paul on how he responded to difficulty and really discouragement in his life. Listen, if you have not been discouraged as a Christian, then you have not followed Jesus very long. Like it is the hardest thing you will ever do with your life. You got so many things working against you. Not only do we have a real enemy that's trying to lie to us, accuse us, steal, kill, destroy everything God's doing in our life, but we have a fleshly body and our spirit is alive to God. Like we're ready, we wanna know God, we wanna love God. 
But like Paul, we find this other thing at work in us, which is our fleshly body that wants to live for sin, that wants to do the things that we want to do. And Paul says, who will help me? Who's going to rescue me from this body? And he says, the Spirit of God, and thanks be to Christ. But we can learn from Paul here how to respond to this discouragement and difficulty. Where does Paul go for encouragement? A couple places, two places to be exact. One, he goes to the Word of God. Like the word of God comes to him. And then secondly, he goes to the church. Did you notice how many different people show up around Paul when he needed them the most? Aquila and Priscilla show up. Hey, we just came here to meet you. Did Paul line it up? It doesn't say he did. God sends Aquila and Priscilla. Silas and Timothy come down from Macedonia right when he needed them the most. So he found letter A, encouragement from the word of God. God speaks to him through a vision in verses 9 and 10. Can you imagine how this would have made him feel? When God needed him the most, he showed up, and he showed up with a word that refreshed the soul of Paul. Psalm 19:7, David says it best, the law of the Lord is perfect. It refreshes the soul, especially promises from the word of God that meet us exactly where we are. Here, God literally gives, gives Paul a promise of his presence, a promise of his protection, and a promise of, of the salvation of more people. And literally, this is what the Word of God does in our life. But why do we do the 412 reading plan? Like, why do we print out, why do we go through all the effort to line out a reading plan to do together as a church? Why does Blake sit down every week and come up with daily questions to encourage you in your faith for the 412 reading plan online. Why do we do all this stuff? Because we want you to learn to hear from God through his word. Listen, God doesn't have to speak to you through a vision. He may very well choose to do that, but even if he doesn't, he's given us 66 books of his word that is his word, and it wants to meet us exactly where we are. We just have to know it, and when we get in those moments where the life cuts us or the circumstances that we're in cut us if we do not know the word of God or we do not know people that know the word of God that can share the word of God with us then we are missing what Paul is experiencing in this moment because this is what the word of God does the Bible says it's living and active it is the breath of God spoken to us it is literally like God shows up at your house in person and says Billy I'm with you I'm with you. I'm going to be with you. Keep doing what you're doing. There's more people in this city that need to be saved. You keep preaching the gospel. You keep discipling people. I mean, what, what could give you more confidence? What, what could refresh your soul more than that? Nothing. And so all we have to do is turn to the Word of God and begin to do it. So I challenge you, jump into the 412 with us this year. Listen, if you make any New Year's resolution... How awesome would it be to spend every day, I'm not talking an hour, I'm just saying 15, 20 minutes, 10 minutes every day in the Word of God. Allow it to speak to your soul. Secondly, Paul found encouragement from the church. Faithful people came alongside of him. Aquila and Priscilla, Silas and Timothy, Titius, Justice and Crispus were saved. These are the things that encouraged Paul. Like Paul had people. The church for Paul was more than an event to attend. And Paul was the preacher, so he had to be there on Sunday or Saturday at that point uh, to preach to the synagogue. But there's a difference in showing up to a church service 
and doing life with a family of people. And this is what our connect groups are all about here. Listen, it's not enough to just be here on Sunday mornings. We're going to worship together. We're going to teach God's word. We're going to sing together. We're going to take communion. We're going to celebrate baptisms. All the things that we can do, and these are good things. But listen, you can walk in and out here every Sunday, in this room, out of this room, and the church never become a family to you. And listen to me, if you're doing that, you're, you're selling yourself short. Like this is not what God designed the church to be. We live in a culture that tells you that that's what church is. It's just like McDonald's. You walk in, you get served, and then you walk out. But that's not what God designed the church to be. The church is designed to be a family of people that walk through life together, that bear one another's burdens, that pray for each other, that are open and honest about what they're struggling with and what they're walking through so that other people can love them and be a tangible picture of Christ the way that these people have been for Paul in this moment. What did Paul need when he was discouraged and weary? He needed some real people to show up beside him with the Holy Spirit and say, Paul, we're with you, buddy. We're with you. So much so that they're willing to pack up their business from Corinth and say, we'll go to Ephesus with you. That's what Aquila and Priscilla did. And then he got there and Paul said, hey, I need to leave, but I need you guys to stay here. And he said, we'll do that. We're we're here to do that. We're here to help you. We're here to support you. This is what the church is all about. I challenge you, join a connect group. 412 reading plan, join a connect group. Listen, I promise you, these are the things that are gonna keep you encouraged in your relationship with God. So here's my question for you. What do you do when you experience times of difficulty and discouragement in your life? Because I can tell you what my natural instinct is when I get discouraged. It's not to run to God, it's to run away from God. And that's what my flesh tells me to do all the time. My mind doesn't see it as a good thing to come to Christ in my weakness because I have a messed up view of God in some ways because men don't show weakness, which is what our culture tells us. But then when we see the Bible and we read the teachings of Paul, the greatest asset we have in the Christian life is weakness because when we realize our weakness, God's strength begins to empower us because we begin to lean on him and not trust in our own understanding. And so if you're in this room and you feel weak, you are a prime candidate for God to use you in an incredible, incredible way. These are the people that God chooses to use, people that are willing to admit that they need him and people that are willing to admit that without him they cannot do what he's called them to do and they begin to lean on him and live for him. So run to him. Don't run away from him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is the invitation of Jesus. The third thing I wanted to talk to you about, and this is more application of what God had spoken to Paul. I want to read it to you one more time, and I want to give you three encouragements that I feel like just burst alive in my heart when I think about this this scripture and how it could affect us as a church. Verse nine, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He said, do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this 
city. The more I read that, I just get more fired up over and over again. As we move into this new year of 2022, uh, I just think over and over again about this promise, and I think about what it could mean for us, and I want you to write down a couple things. This statement, uh, letter A, there's more people in this city. There's more people in this city. Uh, To Paul, it was the city of Corinth. There were people that God had already began to work in, like God had gone before Paul, so all he had to do was share the gospel and preach the gospel, and God had promised that people would respond, and they would become Christians. Well, we live in a city, and I just believe God has done the same exact thing in our city. And this is a promise, not only in our city, but around the world, that God is moving in the hearts of people. And it's his job to save the people. But God chooses to use us as his vehicles and his instrument to take the gospel to them so that they can make a decision to follow him. How awesome is that, that God has more people in this city? Listen, we live in an area that has 40,000 people. Many of these people work with you. Many of these people you see at the ball field playing ball with your, with your son or your daughter. Many of these people you see at the gym. Many of these people you see in your workplace all over the place. How would it change the way you talk to them if you knew that God had already begun to work in their heart? And that the person that he was trying to use to share the gospel and share God's plan for their life was you. How much more confidence would that breed in you? Like you knew that all you had to do was mention the name of Jesus. Man, Jesus has been doing this in my life. Oh, Jesus has been doing something in my heart too. And you get the opportunity to cease a person's life change forever. This is what Paul would have felt. You know, there's more people in this city just like you. Just like you. There's more people that apart from Christ, they're wasting their life. They're living for things that don't matter. They're looking for life and things that they'll never have. I mean, I look across this room. I look at faces all over this room. There's more Robbie's in this town, in this city. There's more Jeffreys that are in this city. There's more people, Jordans, Whitney's, Morgan's. I mean, there's more people that don't know the Lord. And they're, they're at our fingertips. And I just believe God's working in their hearts. He's gone before us. Like, there's nothing you can say to screw up the work of God in somebody's life. Nothing. God's given you the easiest job in the world. All you have to do is open your mouth and share about what God has done for them. And it's God's job to save them. You don't have to persuade them. You don't have to talk them into it because the truth is if you can talk them into it, somebody else will talk them out of it. But what God can do in a person's life is absolutely incredible. And he's given us the invitation, the opportunity to be a part of that. And it's, it's, it's so easy to separate yourself from that. And that's why we celebrate baptisms in the church and we read stories. Why do we read stories? Because I want you to understand the type of people that God's transforming. And when you haven't heard some of those stories, you gotta think about your own story. What was your life like before Christ? Well, if we be honest, it was probably quite miserable and it was filled with sin, and we were chasing things that we thought were gonna give us life and joy, but they never gave us what we wanted. And then we found Christ, and we began to see what life, an abundant life, was truly like. Could we begin to be a church 
that lives with this in sight and that begins to live with great boldness and urgency to do this. The second thing we can learn from this promise is that we need to keep doing what we're doing as a church. If you've been here at all, you understand the mission of our church is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. What what does God tell Paul? Keep speaking. Nobody's gonna bother you. Nobody's gonna hurt you. That doesn't apply to everywhere Paul went, but in Corinth, nobody's gonna kill you. Keep speaking. I have more people. I'm gonna save more people. This should propel us to continue to be the church that God's called us to be to leverage everything we have financially, energy-wise, uh, talent, time, treasure, everything we have to help connect people to a growing relationship with Christ. Listen, it is not the time for the church to be distracted on things that do not matter. That's a building included. We are a church. We are a group of people that live on mission for God. If the building doesn't help us do that, then we don't need it. I hope you've heard me say that over and over and over again. We are the people of God, and we need to continue to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's not just me. That's you. That's every person sitting in this room that calls himself a part of Connection Church. We need to own the mission that God has placed in front of us, continue to do what we're doing. And then lastly, we need to remember that God is with us We just got out of a series called God With Us. It set this up so well. Emmanuel, this is our Christ. This is our God. It is God with us. What is better than Jesus physically beside us? It's God in us. And if we're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. That's God himself. And anywhere we go, God is with us. And listen, this is good news to people that know they need him. It's good news to Bo and Lauren who are going across the world to an unengaged people group. It's good news that God's with them. It's good news for us that go to work and we know that we can't save the person sitting next to us and boy, do they need saving. But God's with us. It's good news as we go plant more churches. It's good news for some of us that serve in the kids ministry in the two-year-old class with my son that God's with us because you're gonna need him. I need him. It's good news to us, that those of us that feel unqualified. Does anybody feel unqualified? Anybody feel discouraged? Anybody feel like you're not good enough to do what God has asked you to do? The good news is it's not about your ability. It's about the one that is in you. And he empowers us to do what God's called us to do. So would this be a year? Listen, 2021 was an incredible year for us as a church. I mean, an incredible year. We saw 17 people saved through a pandemic. We were meeting online for, for some of the year. We, we saw uh, almost 20 people step into the waters and be baptized to show that Jesus had done a work in their life. We saw almost 300 people in small groups being discipled every week and doing life together with the church. Listen. As a church, if you combine general offering and the 1-8 project offering, you guys gave almost over $1.1 million to the work of Christ, to the mission of God. I mean, this is incredible. 
Like, this is better than anything I've ever experienced as a church. We've been here for seven years, and it was the best year we've ever had as a church. Missionally, uh, we, 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 not only that, we, we've sent out one missionary uh, couple to plant a church in North Africa, but we're getting ready to plant another church. Uh, we, we've got another church planter that's going to plant somewhere domestically around here. Uh, God raised up Bo and Lauren to now go to an unengaged people group and plant another church. Listen, we are doing some things that are going to move and shake the kingdom of God. God's given us that opportunity. But I believe 2022 is gonna be the best year we've ever had. But listen, it's gonna be not because of me and not because of you, but it's gonna be because of us opening our hands up and saying, God, we wanna be a part of what you're doing. We wanna be a part of your mission. We wanna be a part of your church. We want to be the Aquila and Priscilla of today. And we wanna follow you, we wanna love Jesus, we wanna love people, and we wanna be committed to the mission of God. And I promise you, if you will begin to surrender that to the Lord, what God can do in and through you and in and through us as a church, we'll sit here next year and we'll say, oh my goodness. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. I don't know where you came into this room today, but here's what I know. The gospel is for every person. If you're in this room and you've never experienced the love of God, you've never known that God loves you so much, not the fake you, not the you that you may put forward for everybody to see, but the you that is the true you, behind closed doors, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God loves that you, and he loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, his most precious gift, and he sent him to die the death that you and I deserve to die. But he raised to life, and he raised to life as the Lord and Savior of the universe. And he's opened the door for you and I to be reconciled back to God so that you and I can now be connected to the God that we were created to know, the God that we were created to walk with. Not because of anything we've done, but because of the finished work of Jesus. And the invitation of the gospel is that you would repent. That you would say, Billy, I, I'm tired of living for myself. I don't wanna live, it's not working out. And I wanna turn to God. I trust him as Savior, and I surrender my life as Lord. And if you're in this room today and you say, Billy, that's where I'm at. That's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you to be bold. Would you lift your hand right where you are and say, Billy, that's me. 100%. That's what I want to do. Amen. Anybody else? You say, Billy, that's me. Amen. Anybody else? I'll give you a second. So, Father, I pray right now. God, I pray for these individuals. God, that have said yes to you. God, they have no idea how good of a plan that you have for their life. So God, I pray today, Lord, that you would just give them a glimpse of that. God, would you surround them with people, starting with the prayer team that's about to get them. God, that would encourage them and show them that you have incredible plans for their life. And God, I pray for the rest of us. God, would you create the heart of Aquila and Priscilla, which is ultimately your heart in us. God, would you fix our eyes on your mission? Would you fix our eyes on you and God, would you empower us to take your glory to the ends of this earth? God, would you raise up people, God, to live sent in this community around this world in an incredible way. God, we're thankful. God, we look in anticipation for this year. We're so excited 
for what you have in store. God, would you just continue to get us out of the way and align us to your will. Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thank you for being here and we'll see you back next week.